Well, I've got a picture up there. I just wonder if you can name the people that are on that picture. Anybody name the whole lot? The people that were chosen for This Is Your Life, it ran for about 10 years, and uh, they had lots and lots of people who had something to celebrate in their lives. And what would happen is that this unsuspecting person would be taken into a room somewhere, and then somebody else would burst in, the host would burst in with a book, usually a red book, but that had This Is Your Life on it. And they would go through that book and they would highlight the things in that person's life. Anybody name the whole lot? Can you name any of them? Yeah? What's Colin Mead's nickname? Pine Tree, yeah. George Nepia. He was a famous rugby player from way back in the 1920s, I think. I'm not sure about whether it's that far back. Was there anybody else? Billy T. James is there. I think you got them all. You might wonder why I've put that there, but today I want to liken this message to an episode of This Is Your Life. And what I'm talking about tonight, today, is God's grace. And what he does in doing things in our lives that change the way that we live. And anybody that's in this room today who has come to know the Lord Jesus needs to be able to celebrate a changed life. And so I want to put you in the hot seat today as we think about God's grace and what he does. I want you to consider, have you made the changes in your life that you should have made? When Craig asked me to take part in this series, I thought about grace a little bit and looked up one or two things, and there's a quote here from a theologian, T. James, I don't know whether it's Tim or Tom, but he said, the word grace is unquestionably the most significant single word in the Bible. Now, you can agree with that, disagree with it, but that makes it a bit of a tall order for me to try and preach the truth about grace in one sermon. There's so much stuff that we could bring out. But let's start with a question. What is God's grace? Have you got a definition of God's grace? I'd like to have a few people. If you know so much about the Bible, you should be able to come forth with some really good definitions. Let's have it. Undeserved favour, the undeserved favour of God, yeah? Yeah, God's riches at Christ's expense, that is a, an acrostic using the word grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Anything else? Let me give you a few. Grace is a message of Jesus. Grace is love at its lovely list, falling on the unlovable and making it lovable. Grace is love and favour given by God. We could go on. I looked up dozens of them. Dozens and dozens. They all give this idea that we get something that we don't 
deserve. God, in his absolute love and goodness, he wants to pour into our lives something that we don't deserve. What a privilege it is to be recipients of God's grace. And I hope today that as we talk about this, that something will really trigger you to be a person who wants to live out the grace of God so that he gets the glory. Amen. Now, I, I decided today that I'd like to try and answer two questions about grace. The first one is, what is it? What does grace achieve in our lives? And the second question is, how do we receive grace so that it makes a difference in our lives? Now, those two questions are absolutely important. So I want you to buckle up. You're going to be in the hot seat. And I'd like to just pray that you would just open your heart to receive the grace that God has got for you. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, we bow before you. And we recognize that you have done so much that we don't deserve. We recognize that we are a sinful people. A sinful people that would be nowhere without your grace. And we pray that today, that as we talk about grace this morning, that you would extend our understanding of what it truly means and that you would help us to live by grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start with that question, what does grace achieve in our lives? And I want to take you today into the little book of Titus. And you might wonder, well, why would I go into the Paul's letter to Titus? What had happened was that the Apostle Paul, when he travelled on his missionary journeys, he used to take people with him. And when he went to the island of Crete, he took this young man named Titus with him. And when he left Crete and he carried on on his missionary journey, he left Titus to establish a church there. And what he did was to write Titus a letter, and in that letter he said to Titus the things that he wanted him to teach the people there. And if you look through the book of Titus, it would be really good to go home and read it. Because in the, in the letter to Titus, it's all about God's grace. And he's, Paul is effectively saying, come on now, Titus, you need to get to work and you need to teach these people the truth about, Titus, about grace. Teach them to be people that learn to live in the center of God's grace and to take advantage of what he has done for us. And so that's the background to it. And... Uh, Obviously, I can't go through the whole letter today, nowhere near it, because I'm only going to use Titus on this first question today. But I hope you'll go home and look at it. You know, the other day when I was preparing this sermon, I got a phone call. And the phone call came from Tuhoi Isaacs. Does anybody know who Tuhoi Isaacs is? Some of you put your hand up. 
Tuhoi is a guy that I've known since about 1990, and he's, we've had a significant connection with him ever since, and he's been coming to the church at Wanaka. And, uh, but recently he moved right up to the far north to be with his family. But Tuhoi phoned me, and I was right in the middle of preparing this sermon, and I said, Tuhoi, yours must be one of the most amazing stories of God's grace. Can you say anything about it? And as quick as a flash, he said, when I first became a Christian, Lionel Stewart, one of the Baptist leaders at that time, said to him, I can see the grace of God extending over your life. Well, Tuhoi had done 15 years in prison. You can only guess what caused that. And his was one of those cases where it almost seemed like there was no hope for this man. But God in his grace did an amazing work. And I would list him as one of the great trophies of grace. Where he moved from being the head or the president of the mongrel mob movement and Tuhoi is now an evangelist that goes out and he spends his time sharing the truth about Jesus. What a token of grace. What a, what a trophy. I wonder whether you have been a trophy of grace or have you been a disgrace to grace? That's the question I want you to answer today. Am I truly one of those people that the community looks at and they know that this person has been with Jesus because of the way they live? Are you a token of grace or a disgrace to grace? What Paul does when he's talking to Titus He gets him, he says, now I want you to talk about the past, the present, and the future. And he he says to him, at one time, this is the past now, what we used to be like before we experienced God's grace. Now you might like to think back to what you used to be like before you experienced God's grace. What was it like? Good to be reminded. Well, in Titus chapter 3, and verse 3, it says this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Well... Friends, all of us are on a journey of faith. And I would suggest to you that if you look back in your life to the time prior to becoming a Christian, some of those four words would mean something to you. Foolish. Have you made some foolish decisions in the past? You know, I I could spend a whole sermon on that one, 
but in, in 1 Corinthians 1 and also in James 3, the wisdom of God is compared with the so-called wisdom of men. And you know what James says? One thing he says about the wisdom of man, he says it's demonic. Well, you know, we have heaps of so-called wisdom thrown at us at the moment. They tell us that, uh, you know, you could have an IQ of 150 and you could still be a fool. And we've got this situation right at the moment where they're, they're basically saying if you educate these kids good enough, then they're going to be wise people. But they might just be educated fools. In fact, some of them aren't even bothering to go to school at the moment. And even if they do go to school, they can't find enough teachers to teach them. And if they do find a teacher, the class is so disruptive that they can't show it anyway. That word foolish, can you remember back to when you were being foolish? What about the word disobedient? I think that's really referring to outright rebellion. Can you think back to a time when in your life, I can see a few heads nodding, you know, way back there you thought you were being clever, but you were really being absolutely rebellious. What about that word deception? Can you look back to a time when you were deceived? You know, what I mean by deceived is when you think you were on the right path, but in actual fact you weren't. We've got a young lady over at Wanaka who recently became a Christian and she gave her heart to Jesus and she got baptised. But at her baptism she told this story about how she used to teach New Age stuff. And she thought it was the truth. And one night... In a dream, the Lord appeared to her and he told her that she was wrong and that she needed to get into the churches and find the truth. Deceived. Can you think back to a time when you were deceived? And what about addicted? Lots of people in their past have been addicted to something. You know, we can easily think of things like cigarettes and drugs and alcohol and those. But I wonder whether there are other things too that we can become addicted to. Gambling, pornography, stealing, anger. There's all sorts of things that we can become addicted to. Well, what Paul says to these people is this is what you used to be like. Thank God it was used to be. Now let's look about what he says about the present life, our present life. In verse 4, this is Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and love of our Saviour appear, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. I want to suggest to you that that verse that I just read, or those two verses, is probably 
the best definition that you will ever hear anywhere of the grace of God. In fact, if you really want to get serious about this today, I want to suggest to you that you memorize that verse, that you put it on a little card and you put it in your pocket and you go over it and over it and over it until the truth of God's grace from that verse just burns right into you. Do you understand it? That verse starts with a but. It's basically saying what you used to be like was how your life was going to be, but what's the but? The but is that that Jesus Christ came into your life and he poured his grace into your life and he made a difference. And none of you would be in this room today if it was not for the grace of God. But, but God's grace just oozed out into our lives. But, about now is a good time to thank the Lord for what he's done. But God. One pastor was trying to explain grace and he was looking for an illustration and he picked up the local newspaper and there was something in the lost column. It said this, Lost my dog. Reward offered. He's a mixed breed that limps due to a road accident. He now has arthritis. He's blind in one eye. And he's got patches of hair missing due to mange. And he's nearly deaf, but if you shout loud enough, he just might answer to the name Lucky. (laughs) Friends, it's like that for us. You know, it's, it's like something has gone wrong. But we're lucky enough that God would pour his grace out on us. Actually, I don't think the word lucky is the best word. It should be the word blessed. You know, we're blessed enough to have his grace pour out on us. One of the definitions I saw about grace was that grace, we're we're a little bit like a tree that bears fruit even though its branches are broken. And Christians are often broken, but they can still bear fruit because of God's grace. Do you go with that? God is good and he wants us to. Well, he loves us even in the midst of all our corruption. And it's really important for us to remember that there is nothing of our self-righteousness. You notice that verse, it said, not by works of righteousness, but he washed us by rebirth and the renewal of his Holy Spirit. Friends, we can do nothing. The Bible says over and over again that all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. This is Isaiah 64, verse 6. It says, we are all infected and we're impure with sin. And when we proudly display our righteous deeds, we find that they are but filthy rags. 
Friends, he doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because he loves us. God provides with his grace the supernatural power of his Holy Spirit to do whatever needs to happen in our life. And he begins it when he brings us to faith right at the beginning and he he pours his grace into us probably because somebody's been praying and God's grace comes into that person's life and they get convicted and they come to the point where they are, are set free and set free from the penalty of sin. It's a fantastic moment, isn't it? That moment of rebirth. Now, I don't think this is actually talking about baptism when it says being washed at the rebirth. Because the thing that really washes us is not water. The thing that washes us is the blood. Would you be free from your burden of sin? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? The Bible tells us that it's the blood of the Lord Jesus and His amazing love where He gave His life and He shed His life so that we could know our sins forgiven. Do you believe that? Has it happened for you? Or are you one of those people that have been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off when you need to, in faith, step out and you need to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Saviour. But it doesn't stop at conversion. That text tells us that it's the renewal of God's Holy Spirit that changes our life. It's one thing to be saved from the penalty of sin, It's another to be saved from the power of sin. And he wants to pour his power out so that we can be changed. You know when it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's Ephesians 2. What it's really saying is, friends, Being saved is not just being saved from the past, it's being saved from the present as well. And and I think a lot of Christians are really good at thinking about receiving God's uh, forgiveness for their sin, but they're not so good about catching hold of the power to be released from their present sin. Well, Paul goes on not just talking about the past and the present, but he also talks about the future. I'm not going to say much about the future today, but he offers them a future glory by his grace. Because we have been forgiven for all of our sin, it means that he has got us ready to spend eternity with him. You listen to what he says down in verse 7. He says, because of his grace... He declares us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Well, that's a great Christian hope. That God in his grace fills us with a hope that when we leave this earth, that is not the end. We're going to spend eternity with our Lord and Saviour, the one that has loved us with that everlasting love. What amazing, amazing grace that we can even look to that. I hope that you're living 
in the blessing of God's Holy Spirit because He's using His Holy Spirit to get you ready for eternity. Are you letting Him get Him ready? What do you reckon? You know, I once went to hear John Bevere speak, and he said this. He said, some people claim that they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. Do you do that? You know, it can happen in hundreds of ways. When we hang on to anything of the past, and we don't let God's Holy Spirit deal with it, what is actually happening, it's a denial of grace. Just recently I was talking to a guy that had an issue. He was a born-again Christian, claimed that he had been walking with the Lord for years, but he had an addiction. And I said to him, when are you going to deal with the addiction? And he said, oh, I don't have to deal with that. He said, when God's ready, he'll deal with it. Is that good theology? It's not, is it? Because God's always ready. He's always wanting to bring us to a place where we are living a holy life in, in the community that we live, genuinely and humbly walking with him. He wants us to be people that are walking with him. And I said to this guy, I said, you don't have to wait for God's timing. God's timing is now. It's your timing you've got to deal with. But I wonder about you. Is there some of those things that relate to those four words that we used earlier on that maybe you're hanging on to and you've never let them know? You know those four words again? What were they? Foolishness, disobedience, this being deceived, and what was the last one? Now, if you go through your Bible, you'll find there's lots of other lists that are much more extensive than those four things. But we've only bought four today, and I'm sure they cover lots of things. But maybe you're a person who would love to leave some of these things behind, and you wonder how. How can I actually leave this thing that has been a problem with me all my life? How can I do it? That's the second question that I've got for you today. The first question was, what does grace achieve? The second question is, how can we use grace to change our life? And I want to change gears completely and take you to Romans chapter 6 at this point. So hang on to Titus, go home and read about it, but I want you to turn to Romans 6 because Romans 6 has been called the mechanics of grace. In other words, it's how grace works. And I want to run you through three little words that come out in Romans 6 that will tell you how to gain victory in your journey of faith. Here's the first one. The first word is knowing. The word knowing. There are some things that we need to know about God's grace. There are some things that we need to know. Now just before we do, I want to bring you to the first two verses 
of Romans 6. Verse 1 says this. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace will increase? That, friends, is the great grace question. It's a question that every one of us at some time has asked. Because what happens is that we have had something in our life, we've come to Jesus, and Jesus has forgiven us for our sin. And our question is, well, if, if he's forgiven us for our sins, our past, our present, our future, and if we got this ticket to get us to heaven, why should I change? You ever ask that question? Why bother? Why not just carry on the way I am? And, and, and just go right on as if it doesn't matter one little bit. Paul answered that question himself in the very next verse. What did he say? He says in that next verse, and I've lost my place, but by no means we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Let's say that again. We died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? A lot of people want to live in their sin much longer. And that brings us to this getting to know. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you will have heard of him. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he talked about a thing called cheap grace. And in actual fact, he says that cheap grace is not grace at all. But let me give you a quote from this. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness that, without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Cheap grace is to hear a gospel preached as follows. Of course you have sinned, but now everything is forgiven. So you can stay on as you are and enjoy the consolation of forgiveness. Do you like that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was saying, if we do not change our life, then it's basically not grace at all. Well, this word knowing, there are some things that we need to know. Verse 3, Romans 6 verse 3, it says, don't you know, underline that, don't you know, that all of us were baptised into Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What's he saying? He's using baptism as an illustration. He's saying now, when you became a Christian and you went and got baptised, you were actually having a funeral service. 
Now, an interesting thing, I have not seen any dead person sin. Have you? You're an undertaker, aren't you, Janice? A retired one? Did you ever see one a dead person sin? No? They can't do it. What he's saying is that in a spiritual sense, when you get baptized, there is that old nature that is put to death. He talks about the old self being crucified. Now, is that what happened with you? And, and he talks about going down in the water, dying to the old life, being buried, and rising to a new life in Christ Jesus. Does that happen? Does it happen? Has it happened? You know, way back in history, there was a guy by the name of Augustine. And Augustine wrote a very famous book called The Confessions of St. Augustine. But the story has it that in the early part of his life, he had a real problem with immorality. And he used to chase after the prostitutes all the time. And he would, he would make a commitment that he was never going to go near them again. And next thing he would be right into it. And over and over again he fell. And he felt absolutely defeated. But one day, Augustine read Romans chapter 13. Let me read you a little bit of it. He said, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he realised that he had been trying to take off all this evil in his life, but he hadn't been putting on the Lord Jesus. And so actively he got down on his knees and he said, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life and I want you to change this thing because I can't do it on my own. And God's grace appeared and he got set free. And a few months later... He was walking down the street and one of the old prostitutes was standing there. And she called out to him and she said, Hey, Augustine, come with me. Come spend a night with me, Augustine. And Augustine turned around and he looked at her and he said, Yes, I'm Augustine, but that Augustine died. And the Augustine that you see now is Jesus Christ living in him. And he turned and walked past. He was set free. Friends, I wonder whether there's something where some of us have tried and tried and tried to give up something. It might be pornography. It might be stealing. It might be anger. It might be hate. It might be anything. And we've been trying to do it in our own strength. And he's saying, no. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the knowing. The knowing. The second word I want you to see here today is the word reckoning. You only find that word in the King James Version. But it's a, it, we can reckon 
on God's amazing grace. It says in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves, that's the NIV version, the word count, count yourselves dead to sin. Now if I said to you, I'd like you to count to a hundred, could you do it? Could you count to ten? When you count something, it has to be accurate. You know, if you're counting to ten and you miss out five, you've got it wrong. It's, it's, a, it's a mathematical term, and the Greek word here is, is a, a word where we get our word logic from. It's a mathematical term that is either right or wrong. So how can you reckon yourself to be dead to sin? How can you do that? There's a guy named Watchman Nee. Well and truly dead now, but he was a famous Chinese preacher. And he was preaching when aeroplanes were first coming into their own. And one day when he was preaching on this verse, he told the story of a guy that said he didn't trust those contraptions. No way was he going to get on a plane. He'd rather walk. And so this guy used to just walk everywhere. And, and as he got older, he got a bit of arthritis and walking got pretty hard. And so one day he thought, blow this. I'm going to put my trust in that plane and give it a go. And he gets into this plane and away the plane goes. And he's celebrating. He, he's, something fantastic has happened. Now, if you think about that man, up until that stage, he was controlled by the law of gravity. But when he got in the plane, he was controlled by the, the law of aerodynamics. Now, the law of aerodynamics was superseding the law of gravity. I want you to see it like that. I want you to see that the law of sin and death is a little bit like gravity, but the law of life and the spirit is like that law of aerodynamics. It supersedes. And so our way that we can walk free is when we live by the law of the spirit. Does that make sense? And so we can work it out. And if we, if we decide halfway through that we're not going to trust the law of the spirit, it would be like getting in that plane and opening the door and saying, I don't trust this thing, I'll jump out. Who would be so silly? But don't we do that all the time? Where we turn from, from trusting into trusting ourselves instead of trusting God. He wants to help us. He wants to help us. Well, the last word for today, I think I've gone on enough here, but the word here is yield. Yield. What Paul says is this. He says, we are to offer ourselves to Christ. Verse 13, it says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin. So he's concluding this now. He's saying, don't offer the parts of your body to sin. And he's talking particularly here about habitual sin, those things that you've had for you. We're not talking about sinless perfection because we know that we can all slip. But he's saying, you've read this stuff, don't offer yourself to sin. You don't have to because God's on your side. He said, rather offer yourselves to God 
as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Do you like that? He's saying we've got a choice. We don't have to, we don't have to be defeated. We can walk in freedom. He goes on there talking about the fact that we're either going to be a slave to righteousness or we'll be a slave to sin. I know which I'd rather be a slave to. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Let me say that again. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Friends, we can walk free. And I want to offer to you today, anyone at all who's defeated in some area, I'm offering you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to walk in victory. If you think about what he does, he's, he's uh, God's amazing grace is available to every believer so that they can walk in victory. He's provided forgiveness so that we can have our, our sins forgiven and we can get our ticket to heaven. But he didn't stop there. He's provided his Holy Spirit so that day by day he is renewing us, renewing us, and as we surrender completely to him, then his grace will set us free. Sometimes he may want to use his grace to bring physical healing or to cast out a demon or to, or to fix a relationship or to do something. Sometimes he will call you to repentance, but friends, he wants you to walk free. He wants you to walk free. We need our old self, friends, to die so that we can be new in Christ. We need to know that the Holy Spirit is there to restore us completely. So friends, my prayer today is that you will yield completely, day by day, to the Lord Jesus Christ, so that his grace, his amazing grace, can set you free. Amen. And today I want to just say, before you go home, if any of you are somehow locked into something that you know is wrong, don't go home without getting somebody to stand beside you and pray with you. Thank you.